Before we get started today, I wanted to remind you that the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny is fueled by Gatorade. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. Also, Black History Always is a new podcast in partnership with The Undefeated that takes a deep dive into the stories of now and tomorrow from a Black aperture that empowers and inspires. That's Black History Always. Listen wherever you find your pods. Finally, ESPN Plus subscribers, join an ESPN Plus Fantasy Football League now for a chance to win $250,000. Sweepstakes is U.S. only, 18 or older, no purchase necessary. Visit ESPN.com slash ESPN Plus football roles for full details and official roles. Welcome to the Mini Time Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts saw the clip of Tim Tebow's block and wondered if someone said, roll over. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. I'm joined by, uh, uh, I call him the moral compass of the show, Field Yates. Um, I said, Field, if if Lenny's intro, or it's my intro, I'm trying to already punt responsibility, is too mean, you have to let me know, but... You don't have to you don't have to comment on it. I don't want to put you in a bad spot. No, no, that's above I mean, now here's what I will say is we can we can have a well, actually we could not because I would probably leave the podcast. Have a whole podcast on Tim Tebow. One thing that I do believe is fair and I admire him for this is Tim Tebow does not care what you or I or yes. anybody thinks. And that is part of the reason why he's been able to amongst other reasons why he's been able to go from being an NFL quarterback to a baseball player to now being an NFL tight end, however long this this experiment lasts. Yes. We played the clip on NFL Live and they immediately cut to me for comment. And I was like, well, <laughs> all I'll say is I can't do that. So yeah. that's my comment on the entire situation. Um, we are going to talk about the Jaguars today. We're going to talk about the Colts. We're going to talk about the Titans. We're going to talk about the Texans because it is the last division preview. We made it. To the finish line and the finish line is the AFC South and speaking of punting field I have been punting and punting and punting on the AFC South you and I, I literally reached out to you right when I started doing division previews and I said let's do the AFC South and then I think like once a week I said let's push it back let's push it back let's push it. and and then Carson Wentz got hurt and and it's like these it's just been I think probably has had more uncertainty than any division in football. We will talk about the Texans uh, at the end of the podcast. And I think we're going to talk, I, I want to talk about them in a sort of a different way from how we've been talking about some of the other teams, because um, setting aside what's happening with Deshaun Watson, which I'll, you know, again, get to at the end of the show. I also feel like we, with the Texans, you and I have been talking about this. It's all, it's more about a conversation about team building and sort of turning around a team and what is it going to take in the long term than it is about, like breaking down the roster for the immediate season. Um, and so that's why I'm so glad to have you because you're, in addition to being able to break down X's and O's, more than any other person, you think about those types of things in football. Well, team building is something that I think we share a passion for. And while there are few GMs that are measured by anything other than like the most notable of transactions, which is usually acquiring a quarterback or extending a quarterback or notable trades, I do think there's a lot more that goes into football roster building, and I don't foresee, other than a Deshaun Watson resolution, which we'll get into that, um, and there are a lot of tentacles to that, I don't foresee the Texans making any sort of significant moves on the roster this year. So we're really talking about moves around the margins as opposed yeah. to moves 
like the one that we saw with the Titans who traded for Julio Jones or like we saw with the Colts who traded for Carson Wentz this offseason and the Jaguars who made a collection of significant moves, including mm-hmm. hiring Urban Meyer and, of course, drafting Trevor Lawrence first overall. And, and and that's another reason why I'm glad we waited to record this because we finally got a look yeah. at Trevor Lawrence and, you know, like there's a lot of rookie quarterbacks that are going to be starting. Um, but Trevor Lawrence is the one where aside from Zach Wilson, it's very obvious he's going to be starting week one. So I did make sure to watch his first start. He it was only two drives, which kind of let me down. Frankly, I thought we'd get to see a little bit more of him. Um, and they had some of the starters out there with him, not all of them. Uh, one of the starters who was out there with him was, Marvin Jones, who he hit for, I think it was like a 35-yard bomb. Uh, He had about 35 minutes in the pocket on that one, too. So that was a nice combination. (laughs) But um, let's just start there. Let's start with Trevor. Like, what did you see out of him? What are you hearing? How do you feel about him general in this particular offense, which is being coordinated by Daryl Bevel? Yeah, let's address what I think a lot of people have probably been reading if they are not necessarily diving into either Mike DeRocco's coverage on ESPN.com or local newspaper coverage in Jacksonville. You're probably going to hear a lot of rhetoric about how the Jaguars are still not committing to Trevor Lawrence as the day one starter, and they're working hard to split reps with Gardner Minshew, and Gardner Minshew had a very colorful way of describing about how he is not settling for the backup job. Um, So I think it's important to acknowledge that, but also be realistic about what's going to happen here, which is that Trevor Lawrence is going to start from the jump. And if the Jaguars have it their way, he'll start every game for the next 15 to 18 seasons. But uh, from what I have heard from people who have ears on the ground is that Trevor has had moments where, like, of course he's going to have moments where he looks like the best quarterback prospect, probably since Andrew Luck, or at least in that Mm -hmm. conversation. Um, but that he also has a maturity to him. He has ability to sort of look like a veteran, which I think many rookie quarterbacks are capable of doing, but not all of them are. And I thought some of that translated in the first action that we saw on Saturday night. I thought that when he had time, he is an amazing rhythm thrower. Uh, He did not always have time. I thought there Mm -hmm. were some early jitters, including the very first play of the game when he Took a sack, which you know maybe it maybe was partially on him and partially on the offensive line. I tend to shy away from assessing blame um, with sacks and offensive line protection, just because I don't know enough about what the call was. Uh, but he also held the ball too long, and that resulted in a fumble. So I think Trevor's going to be like he's going to be fine, Mina. I have zero concerns whatsoever about the long term outlook for Trevor Lawrence. The big question that I ask when a quarterback is drafted first overall is what is the timeline for the team, and is the team sort of holding his hand for what could be a two or three or four year build up, which Hmm. is what I think we actually are seeing with the Jets. Or is this a team that by dint of the fact that they have the number one overall player in the draft, a guy who could change their fortunes dramatically in a hurry is going to try to not go all in, but try to be competitive right away. And I think that's sort of where the Jaguars are trending. In my opinion, they were active in free agency and they have, uh, made some inve- they made a couple of investments at least that to me struck me as like we don't want to risk anything and I think about the specifically franchise tagging Cam Robinson yeah. who I think nobody had expected as a franchise tag candidate so they strike me as a team that wants to win sooner rather than later yeah Cam Robinson I believe was blocking on that that very first play um we can so call he was it in that. on the- yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, well, it, it's, it's actually really worth pointing out though, because while I, I think you're totally right, they brought him back because they're like, you know what, let's not mess around. We know he can play, you know, we want 
starters and veterans. He, he, he's also not like the best left tackle in football. And I think the offensive line is like my biggest concern um, because I actually really like this group of skill players, not the tight ends, but the wide receivers and the, that, that's not even a Tim Tebow shot, like separate absent of Tim Tebow. I'm talking about the rest of the tight ends. Um, it's not the strength of this team, but the running backs and the wide receivers are. And like, I made a joke about, you know, how he had so much time to throw that ball to Jones, but watching it, I was almost like, oh my God, everybody sleeps on Marvin Jones. You know, he's really underrated. He's a great contested catch. Like he went up and got that ball. You know what I mean? And having a contested catch guy like that, in addition to DJ Chark and LaVisca Chanel, who are both wide receivers I really like, that's so great for a young quarterback because what it's going to do is what it did in that exact moment, which is encourage Trevor Lawrence to be aggressive, pushing the ball downfield, trusting that again, he has players who can get, who can go up and win and, and on 50, 50 balls. And I think to kind of tie it to Bevel and Schottenheimer and this offensive line, which is a little bit dubious. My hope is that the way they can take advantage of the skill players and perhaps compensate for some issues of protection is you know, ha have a little bit more, first of all, you want a moving pocket. You want more play action than they've used in recent years. Um, and totally you want agree. to trust Trevor to use his feet. And I think that stuff we might not see all in the preseason, but it's something we can count on going forward from this group. Yeah, 17 rushing touchdowns for Trevor over his last two years at Clemson. He's a very adept runner. I mean, he may not necessarily be as the same tier of athlete as Justin Fields or Trey Lance, but they ran a ton of power reads with him at, at Clemson, especially near the goal line, which set him up for those 17 rushing touchdowns. And, you know, you and I were texting after you reviewed the Jaguars game and like a couple of my sort of, you know, 30,000 feet away thoughts from Trevor were like, it was good to get some of those welcome to the NFL moments. Because it's, and I know that people will push back and say that Clemson only had one other surefire first round pick on their offense, but there was more pressure on Trevor Lawrence in those two drives than he probably saw in any game or maybe a half of a game during his time at Clemson. So, um, what we have realized though, too, Mina, is that no matter how many other things that they did around Trevor Lawrence this offseason, there was a chance, and we saw it with Andrew Luck, when basically he, he, he yeah. was able to lift the tides of the Colts in spite of what they were doing around him, that if Trevor is as special or as close to as special as we think he's going to be, that this team is, and Bill Barnwell articulated this much better than I am right now, probably as equipped as any of the last place teams from 2020 to get into the division mix right away this year. Mm. Um how do you view this line? Like I, I, I mentioned Cam Robinson, who, by the way, allowed eight and a half sacks last year, which is a lot of sacks. Um, so you're going, you got Andrew Norwell, who, you know, hasn't lived up to the contract he was given, I would say, but is decent. Brandon Linder, very solid. AJ Can, Jawan Taylor. Um, they did draft Walker Little, which... He hasn't played tackle out of Stanford. He hasn't played, I think, since his 2019. Yeah, right? freshman year. He, yep. And there's a knee injury there. Uh, and this is Trent Baalke drafting. So a shiver just ran down the spine of Niners fans. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I know that they like him. Like, do you think that he could, I don't know, step into action sooner rather than later? Or what do you, how do you view the group? I get the sense that was a very 2022 pick from them. Yeah. And they had plenty of draft capital this past year. As we know, they were. 
They've been draft capital flush for several years now because of all the players that they traded away, most notably and recently Jalen Ramsey. Uh, I get the sense that's much more of a 2022 pick because separate and apart from the health of Walker Little, I think the development's going to be a key for them. Uh, but you talked about the five starting offensive linemen. And I mentioned this in my in my notes that I had for the, the Jaguars is that the only one that I'm convinced is back for sure in 2022 is Brandon Linder, the center, who was a really, really good player who just sort of like, you know, we don't talk about centers much as it were, especially one that has been played on a relatively nondescript team for the past five years. But he's lived up to the expectations of his contract extension. He signed with them. Just a good, solid player. Uh, but AJ can is going to be a free agent after this year. He is like a, a he's massive, just a massive power guard. I, I think the offensive line is, to be frank, though, like probably below average. I think there are, especially at the tackle spot, I have major concerns about both Cam yeah. Robinson and Juwan Taylor, who was a great story as rookie year. Mina, he slipped in the draft thirty seventh overall because of concerns about a back issue that had lingered. And then he played every snap as a rookie. I think he was the only offensive lineman in his class to play every single snap. That's good. Like durability and availability matters in the NFL, but I think they're vulnerable on the edges. Uh, this is not a division that's chock full of great pass rushers, uh, especially on the edges. But in games where they're playing out of their division, all 11 of them this year, I have major concerns about Trevor Lawrence. And as we found out, the best way to stunt the growth of a young quarterback is to not protect. Yeah, so they spent their first round pick on a running back. No big deal. No, no big I'm deal. not going to do that. I'm mm. not doing that. I um I did think about it though watching Robinson. Like he he's such a good player. I just it just it just is I don't want to harp on it. Um I do think ETN is going to be a huge part of this offense, but I think Robinson is too. Yeah, I mean this and we'll talk about sort of like roster and asset allocation a little bit later with the Texans, <laughs> but that to me struck me as questionable roster allocation and asset allocation when you have a prized pick, right? I mean, 22nd overall, you can get high-level starters at almost any, I mean, at many positions, right? Um, but more importantly, you can get a high-level starter at you know position 258 in the draft, which is undrafted, as the Jaguars proved themselves. So mm. um, no doubt I was uh, thrilled that uh, Trevor Lawrence gets a t- team up with his college you know, teammate and backfield mate and Trevor, Travis Etienne, who was amazing. It just felt to me like – if you had put Travis Etienne with the Jets right now, I would be much more excited about the impact he'll make, and I would have understood the pick a whole lot more than I did in Jacksonville. I'm optimistic for Trevor. I just think it it, it is going to be kind of like it could be what similar to kind of what we saw in Week One. You know, like I I think he's not in the best situation of all of the rookies because of his offensive line, but his natural abilities and the abilities of his skill players will override that in a lot of scenarios. So I'm excited to watch him like regardless. And I'm also very intrigued by this defense. Like I, we were texting a little bit about it because I was trying to look at them through the lens of the new defensive coordinator, Joe Cullen, who's had quite the NFL career at this (laughs) point. Um, Yeah. Google it folks. But um, most recently was in Baltimore um, and that's it's so it's interesting, right? Because he, he's he's worked for so many different coaches and with so many different schemes, he hasn't pl- called plays in like uh forever, maybe it, like 15, 16, yes, like a, a long, long time. time, yes. But so I'm looking at him and and looking at this defense and thinking, looking at it through the lens of Baltimore, thinking like, okay, you know, he spent the last few years as the, not just a coach but the defensive line coach in Baltimore, so. My assumption is 
there's going to be a lot of similar characteristics. Now, maybe that doesn't mean they play as much man and blitz as much, but, you know, I think we are looking at a 3-4 transition, and I think that's going to help some of the players and the front seven. I mean, we can start there. Um, you, you uh, Bookending the linebacker group now, you, you've got Josh Allen and Caleb on Chase on. Uh, Chase on in particular, I think, might benefit from this change. No doubt. And he just needs to be a rusher, right? He's a superb athlete. Yes. He did that at, at an excellent level at LSU. Obviously, so many players from that 20. 2019 LSU team uh, did a lot of things at an excellent level, but I'm, I'm actually glad we started here because I kind of think they're they're the collective straw here for this this Jaguars defense because they actually have pretty good depth along the defensive front, but not a bunch of players that strike fear as a pass rusher. And if you look beyond Caleb on Chase on and Josh Allen, who is the third rusher in Jacksonville that right now on paper scares you, and makes you think, you know what? If, if we can find a way to neutralize Josh Allen and Caleb on chase on, or if it's mm. in the, you know, it's a long winding drive for the offense. Like, and they bring in yeah. additional pass rushers or whatever the circumstances are, who strikes you uh, who fear, who strikes fear into you. So I think that Josh Allen and Caleb on chase on are like, in, and Allen's a very good player already. That much we know chase on has something to prove after an, an, an uneven year last year. But if those two guys are great, and there's a reason why they went high in the first round in both instances, this defensive front could be kind of interesting because they do have a bunch of physical, tough defensive linemen that should fit with kind of what we saw from from the Baltimore defense for all those years when you had some similar principles that we suspect will be in place here in Jacksonville as well. Sticking with the linebacker group a little bit behind them, um, there, there was kind of – I think people were surprised when they traded Joe Schobert. Yeah, me too. Um, I was. Yeah. You were surprised. Okay. Well, if Field Yates is surprised yeah. by something, then then I feel good saying everyone's surprised. So uh, to the Steelers, it, it was kind of a salary dump, right? I mean, this dude signed a five-year deal with ball, uh, with Jacksonville in 2020 um, and clearly didn't work out. It was a bit of a letdown. I was kind of wondering, okay, well, you know, new scheme. How would he look next to Miles Jack? But the Jaguars clearly didn't want any part of that. Um, cause they're basically paying him to go away. Like what, what do you make of that? Move? Yeah, it's funny. So there's a, there's an on-field part of it, which is, I think Damian Wilson, the former chief is going to start for them who signed a pretty modest deal this off season, one year, $1.75 million in terms of base value. I actually thought that the sort of implications here were more about the power and leeway that urban Meyer, who is the, you know, he, he is the head of operations basically in yeah. Jacksonville that he has right now. They paid $18.1 million in total for one year of Joe Schobert. Now, if you want to contend that the $15 million paid last year were a sunk cost and that, you know, that's a different era and that, you know, at this point acquiring a six round pick for the 3.5 million or whatever it was that they saved this year, I can sort of understand that argument. At the same time, that takes a willing owner, a willing owner who's, who's going to say, you know what, like I just paid this guy 15 million bucks. I don't care if he's not perfect for our defense. If he's going to make this team, like <laughs> I'd like out. to see my investment through a little bit longer. So the football side of it, I think is simple. I think the, the sort of the grander picture part of it is kind of compelling. Yeah. And it, I don't think anybody's surprised that Urban has a ton of power, but the influence is substantial that he can kind of as do as he sees fit. And as we'll talk about probably just a moment with their first round pick from last year, CJ Henderson, like this may not be the end of it. We could see other players who we thought are staples, but based off of money owed to them that are no longer staples in Jacksonville. 
This is why I you're like too good at podcasting and hosting because I was like, ooh, this is a great transition to CJ <laughs> Henderson, but then you did the transition for me. So I'll just jump right into it. Yeah, that was, again, many things are surprising. I guess when you start thinking about the Urban Meyer of it all, all of it becomes a little bit less surprising and a little bit more explicable, right? Like Because sometimes things or rumors or decisions that might not make sense on other teams, if we start thinking about, okay, well, Urban Meyer is being given carte blanche to do whatever he wants maybe it makes more sense although in this case it's, you know like henderson purportedly wanting out yeah but then it, it, it's actually kind of settled down over the last few days field and we're taping this on a monday so if this comes out and it's radically changed i will take something at the beginning but we'll get to this point and uh it seems like right now he's staying on the team so cj henderson um you mentioned first round draft pick a rookie who like i thought at times looked Pretty solid last year in a rookie class of corners that struggled across the board. Talked about AJ Terrell kind of uh, fitting into a similar category last week. But certainly one would have thought was factoring into Jacksonville's plans going forward. Um, if he's on the team, if he's still on the team come time of the season, it's a young group in the secondary. But I actually think it's a pretty talented one with a lot of depth because they... Steinchiko Griffin from Seattle, yep. who, you know, isn't a superstar cornerback, but I think is a, is a good one. Um, you know, there's a reason why Seattle didn't want to give him that big contract, but I also think he was a good player. Uh, and it, 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 having him there, having Henderson, they drafted Tyson Campbell, who I, I'm not sure. I guess Tyson Campbell might be the nickel. And then Andre Sisco, they drafted also. Um and then I guess it's added Rayshon Jenkins. Yep. You know, it's a, it's a, there's a lot of different guys with different skill sets that can be deployed in different ways. Yeah. I would say two things stand out to this. The secondary group is one, you mentioned it, like they're overstuffed with depth, right? Especially at that safety spot when, you know, in the NFL, like um, there are some teams yeah. that are using these three safety looks, but I think more frequently we're talking about teams deploying three or four cornerbacks on the field because you're going up against a Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady led offense. And you're thinking to yourself, if we don't have a bunch of corners that can run, we're in trouble. That's part one. Those they're, they have a ton of depth, but also they got way faster this year in the secondary, which I think is probably was probably imperative. Griffin, as you know, well can run Rayshon Jenkins, a very good athlete. Uh, formerly of the Chargers, Tyson Campbell can flat out fly. Both the Georgia cornerbacks, uh, he and Eric Stokes, that went in the first 33 picks this year could flat out fly. So it feels like a faster group on the whole, which mm. that's one of those buzz, you know, every defensive coordinator addresses the media after a, a hiring and says, we want to be faster, more aggressive, et cetera. Um, but they do, like, they legitimately feel like they can go stride for stride much more this year than they could in previous years, which in the NFL right now, a lack of speed will turn your defense into dust in a hurry. Well, on the topic of that speed, like, so again, going back to Joe Cullen, what he might do defensively, if they do end up playing more man-free, can Andre Sisco, the rookie out of Syracuse, um, who tore his ACL yep. at the end of his career there, can he be the Earl Thomas of this defense? Does he have that kind of range? I think everyone... Um, every single person who talked about him on draft night used the word ball hawk because yep. <laughs> the dude had like 20 million picks. Um, but do you think he also has that sort of sideline to sideline coverage ability that would be required to run that kind of defense? 
Yeah, I mean, it's always funny. It's like, you know, on the one hand, you want to make the comparison because it's the most recent example of a, of a good free safety in this Joe Cullen scheme. On the other hand, you're like, oh, man, like, I don't want to be casting the the, the shadow of Earl Thomas as a football player on yeah. uh, under Cisco without him having played a game and having just, uh, you know, underwent a significant surgery. I, there's there's some shades of it, though. I think he and Rayshon Jenkins have enough sort of natural ball hawk skills to be useful in the back end here. And um, Cisco probably has like the higher upside. He would not have gone in the third round if he had not torn his ACL this past year. So there's plenty of upside there. You mentioned it, like just magnet for the football during his time at Syracuse and a great athlete. So I would say that uh, on the whole, like I think there is a path towards him becoming a really good player in a hurry. I just want to be fair to the fact that the guy, as we know, like you know, played zero mm. snaps of football this past year. Are you biased towards him because he's named Cisco? I already have a jersey, but I didn't know if I was going to say that out loud or not. Yes, of course. A Jags of course. Jersey. Jags yeah, I have several of them. Yeah. Uh, I should have mentioned jersey too. Yeah. Wow. The ombre. Do they have ombre ones? Uh, for those who don't know, Cisco is the name of Field's dog. I feel like I should. He's a good boy too. He's Lenny's friend. Um, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by this Jaguars team. Like, I think we can all see the trend. I also think like we're, we're, um, you know, pointing to urban Meyer's presence as sort of, uh, explaining roster decisions and potentially being this kind of unifying force. I also think it could go disastrously wrong. I, I, I it's kind of like a, let's see it thing for me. And there have been some weird things, right? I mean, the the, the posturing about things, the quarterback, yeah. yeah, and and beyond. To That's, yeah, obviously, it started off, you know, very unceremoniously with the hiring of Chris Doyle from Iowa, which quickly he resigned um, after, like, just I mean, stunning that it happened in the first place. But there have been some other things since then, like just yeah. specific to football, whether it's drafting ETN in the first round, whether it's not naming Trevor Lawrence the starting quarterback despite it being the most obvious situation in the history of the NFL or other things um, that, you know, people's antennas are up a little bit right now. I, I don't know about around the league as much, but certainly those of us who follow the game and cover it closely feel as though there's some sort of same old college coach sort of tricks that are taking place right now that in the past have not worked in the favor of those college coaches that made the leap to the NFL. Well, speaking of that other quarterback, Gardner Minshew, um, he did come up as a possible trade target for mm. the team I want to talk about next, even though that would never happen because they're in the same division. Uh, and that's Indianapolis. So I am glad, not only am I glad that we're, we pushed this off to talk about Trevor. I'm also glad because we got to get a look at the two rookie quarterbacks. Well, he's not a rookie. Jacob Eason's not a rookie, but it was his first outing. Um, Jacob Eason, Sam Ellinger are next in line to start on this Colts roster behind Carson Wentz. Now that said, there also have been reports. This is like a very fluid story with Carson Wentz because, you know, first we hear he's out. It was five to twelve weeks, I believe. Yep. Uh, with the the bone, it's a wide range, which period. Is a massive range, yeah, really wide. And then you get you hear that okay, actually, it's going to be the um, sooner rather than later, and potentially might even start week one against Seattle. So like. If that's the case, field that, and if they are optimistic about his ability to come back, maybe even not week one, but say week two, that would make it would be a little bit more comprehensible that they're not trading for a veteran, not Minshew, but like a Nick Foles or a Marcus Mariota, and more willing to roll with one of these young quarterbacks uh, from the jump, just knowing that it wouldn't have they would, they wouldn't have to start for very long. 
Yeah, it feels like we can just follow the transaction page of Colts.com to figure out how long until Carson Wentz returns. If there's no trade or if there's no attempt to trade for a quarterback, which at least so far seems to be the case, like they must feel very good about Carson Wentz and also Quentin Nelson's return from that yeah. foot surgery. So it seems like week one is definitely in play, but it definitely feels like that 12-week timeline was gratuitous, even if it is possible for some people to take 12 weeks to get back from this kind of injury. Maybe that's uh, the new move to trick opposing opponents into preparing for multiple quarterbacks is just give a really vague and wide-ranging injury timeline. And Yeah, that, then, that, then that, it, well, it, it is beneficial to the player, right? You know, if he comes back sooner, it's 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 a good thing, right? I know that's a, why hero. some coaches – Yeah, well, some coaches stop shy of – of timelines or injury updates in part because they don't want to put undue pressure on the player. Um, you mentioned Nelson being out. So he's not the only one out on this Colts offensive line. We've known for a while now that Eric Fisher, who they signed in the off season is going to be the left tackle at some point, but he is coming back. It was Achilles, right? For him. It was ACL. So that's, that's rough. That's a tough one. We don't know exactly when he's going to start until he does start. You're looking at a competition to replace Anthony Costanzo between Sam Tevy, last with the Chargers, uh, Will Holden, who was on the Colts last year, and then Julian Davenport. Field, we can talk about Eason and Ellinger, but watching the Colts uh, week one, the left side of the offensive line is concerning. Yeah, if I had to scan the NFL major takeaways from week one of the preseason that I thought like are, are properly evaluated, this might be at the top of the list, Mina. Because you know, these rookie quarterbacks, they all had good moments, but some context required, and we know that these are not always gonna work out. But the left tackle play was, I mean, it was a hole along that left side of the line. It was it was just, I mean, it was it was not passable. Whatever the opposite of passable be unpassable. That's what the Colts got. And they have not neglected the left side um, because obviously they signed Eric Fisher to a pretty handsome deal, if I'm not mistaken. Like the upside of that deal made me feel like they think he could be there beyond this year. This is just like let's let's address 2022 a little bit later. Um, but yeah, it's it's I, they know internally more than we know about the options that are now. But it didn't take me long to feel very, very, very unsteady about Sam Tevy and the other players involved there because uh, Carson Wentz is a player who has had an injury history, will be coming off of another significant injury. As we have talked about at length over the past two weeks, if Carson Wentz is not available, it is not a proven quarterback room behind him. This left tackle spot feels like a major issue to me, and I don't know when Eric Fisher will be back, but the Colts better hold their breath until that time. It's hard to know how to talk about the Colts, like, because there's so much uncertainty about, like, so many of these injuries and positions, you know, we're, we're trying to have a conversation about the offense will look like, but we don't know week one, who's going to be playing quarterback. And also we don't know when Quentin Nelson's gonna be back. And we don't know when Eric Fisher is playing. And it's like, okay, well, we could have one conversation where Carson Wentz is the quarterback and he's got the complete offensive line in front of them. By the way, I should have mentioned um, Ryan Kelly, the center, is also out. I think the assumption is he'll come back by way of week one. Am I right about that? And, and soon. That um, uh, actually, Frank Reich, their head coach, okay. issued, issued an update on Monday today we're doing, when we're doing this that made it seem like his return okay. in a minute, which is good. All right, so that one we feel fine about. But uh, outside of that, you know, bluff tackle, left guard, especially when it's Quentin Nelson, pretty important. So sure. I almost like I want to talk about the skill players and the scheme and all that, but it's so it's like 
is in the it's tricky. I mean, this should be a fantastic run game. Yep. You saw Marlon Mack back in action, which was wonderful. Um, you know, love the whole running back group too, not just Jonathan Taylor, Marlon Mack, Naheem Hines, like top to bottom. It's one of the best groups in the NFL. Uh, and then at wide receiver, I think there were some eyebrows raised that they didn't go out and either add someone big, like a big fish in free agency or spend a high draft pick on a receiver. But we keep hearing over and over that they like the guys they have. They love Michael Pittman Jr. They think he's going to, you know, really break out this year. Not that he wasn't, he, he flashed at times last year, but I think they really think he's going to break out this year. You saw Paris Campbell had a really nice uh, week one in the preseason. Again, they continue to believe he can be sort of, the, he can sort of be the versatile weapon uh, that he looked like at times at Ohio State. And then they brought back T.Y. Hilton as the deep threat. Again, they think that having Carson Wentz will bring out the best of T.Y. Hilton. So it feels like a group where, and then there's a bunch of also, by the way, like guys further down the roster, um, Pascal, Patman, um, shoot, is it, it's, he he looked good too in, in week one. Straken? Straken? I don't want to. Yeah, Michael Straken. Yeah, from, the, from yeah. Charleston. Yeah. So they like, they like what they have in house. And I actually, you know, at times, sometimes when teams say that and fans say that about their teams, like, well, you don't know, this guy's going to take the leap. I'm quick <laughs> to dismiss it. But I actually think this particular group of skill players, they might be right. Yeah, no, I think the and the Colts have been consistent with this. This has been like, you know, several months, like since the end of last season, when there were some questions in that game against Buffalo, when they got, you know, T.Y. Hilton certainly resurged uh, late in the year last year, but it was not a great productive day for the rest of the mm -hmm. wide receivers there, but I'm with you. Like they legitimately believe in this and you know, the two players here, and I know that the two most obvious candidates amongst the skill guys are Michael Pittman Jr. And also Jonathan Taylor, who the Colts believe internally Mina are going to be superstars at their respective spots. Jonathan Taylor should be the busiest man in this backfield and Pittman this intriguing, big rangy, physical, mm -hmm. fearless wide receiver it just wasn't super consistent last year. The volume in terms of targets picked up in the second half of last year, but there were some flash moments. The problem was they were set, you know, they were sandwiched by, you know, days where you're you're hoping he becomes a number two wideout, and he just simply doesn't make that leap. But uh, the Colts are defiant in their belief in their internal options at basically every spot, more so than <laughs> I think the public wants to give them credit for. Yeah, well. It it's funny because we're going to talk about the Texans and team building and the, the Colts might have the most distinct approach to roster construction in the NFL or I, I mean, distinct might be the wrong word, but I would say like easily definable. Like this is a team yeah. that is not trying to make huge splashes. They're not going to do anything to satisfy the fan base in the short term. Um, it's all under GM Chris Ballard, very focused on like a very, concrete long-term plan now you can say well they made the big trade for deforest buckner and of course they made the right, trade for right. Wentz. but again the the trade for buckner i think has clearly worked out in their favor you know he he looked awesome last year the Wentz trade it's entirely possible now they might not have to give up a first for him given how much he plays but again i think they viewed that as being like relatively conservative or conservative relative to the other uh trade options both in the draft and for matt stafford and they also did it because to Frank Reich, frankly, um, wow, right. Frank Reich, frankly. <laughs> um, and you know, I, it, it would not have been my decision based on what we saw out of Wentz last year, but in the same way that you and I, that we're like, well, they're saying have faith in the wide receivers. They are also saying we have faith in our head coach and yeah, yeah 
that's pretty much it. I'm glad you mentioned the two trades though, because I could already see Twitter being like, what do you mean? They're not but the point is that like for years when Chris Bauer took over this job, people were breathing down his neck to like do this and free they had every year the Colts led the league in cap space. And he was like, Why would I pay big to acquire a free agent or two? When we have the league's most uncertain quarterback position, which this was when Andrew Luck was dealing with all of his various health concerns, like that doesn't make sense. They were opportunistic when they either needed to be, in the case of Wentz, or had a rare opportunity to acquire into Forrest Buckner, who, as you said, I mean, he was legitimate. I mean, he was on the short list, maybe the, I don't know, top hmm. 10 defensive players in all of football last year. So it's a calculated, uh, I, I applaud the Colts front office. No surprise that uh, Chris Ballard was recently extended through 2026. It might be as sort of like logical, let's make good football business decisions frequently as any front office in the entire league. Well, even, uh, on the other side of the ball too, again, their first two draft picks this year are guys who maybe won't, well, we certainly know in the case of Dio Odeyingbo. Odeyingbo? Nailed it, yeah. Ah, no, I practiced it too. Anyways, he ain't going to play at the beginning. I don't know when he's going to, he's coming off an Achilles injury. Um, Right, next year, during training too. So it was like, it was January when he suffered. Yeah, defensive lineman, by the words. And then Quiddy Pay is, like, that makes sense somewhat in the short term because they need a pass rusher, but also like, you know, he was drafted for his potential more than his production. And it, it really, they could have spent either of those picks on a wide receiver or they could have taken the quarterback there, but they are really, it's all about the long-term vision. Doesn't I'm not saying it's the right approach necessarily. You know, they could have taken Christian Darazaw, for example. Right, uh, yes. And if he, if he looks awesome, Colts fans won't be thrilled, you know, as they wait for Eric Fisher, but it's a distinct I keep saying it's like a distinct vision, but it's it is. It's a vision. It's an approach. Um, this is a defense that was eighth against the pass, ninth against the run last year. We know what this defense is under Matt Eberflus. They play a lot of zone, play a lot of cover two. They don't blitz a lot. They keep everything in front of them, and it's been successful doing that. Um, I I think the concern I would have is that you know you got such a great year out of Buckner. If you're if you get a little bit less of that pass rushing production, you and you aren't able if Pay isn't able to contribute or replace the sack production of like Nico Autry and Justin Houston out the gate, I'd be a little bit worried about where the pressure is going to come from up front. Yeah, they need a pass catcher step up and a pass rusher step up for this yeah. entire operation to be worthwhile. Uh, and whether that's Michael Pittman or Paris Campbell, whoever, and on defense most likely Quiddy Pay based off pedigree and skill set, one on either side of the ball has got to make a difference. I think for this team to, and this is a conversation we'll have about Tennessee too, like making the playoffs is, is cool. It's good, right? But like that's not what this roster was constructed for. It was to go to the playoffs and do damage against the very best the AFC has to offer, specifically the likes of Kansas City and, and Buffalo and Baltimore and Cleveland, whoever you want to put in that top tier of NFL, of, of AFC teams. Like the way you said, making the playoffs is cool. You know what else is cool? Super Bowl in the uh, Sean Taylor social network voice. Um, I <laughs> think that they deserve a ton of credit for what they've gotten also out of their DBs. Um, yeah. You know, a, a group that they have not invested a ton of money into. But again, like, first of all, they've really hit on some draft picks here. But also to take a guy like 
Xavier Rhodes, who they were able to bring back, on, I think on a one-year deal. I don't have it. Yeah, another, another one-year deal. Yeah. And really, like, resuscitate his career, frankly, in this scheme um, is impressive. So you've got Julian Blackman, who I think I, I saw him somewhere as like a top 10 safety. And I was like, oh, that's a little strong, but really maybe a year from now. Impressed. Yeah. yeah, maybe a year from now, like really impressed. Um as the sort of Malik Hooker replacement. And so Kari Willis is next to him. And then Kenny Moore, who's like probably one of the three to five best slot corners in football at this point. Um, Rakusin opposite him, eh, you know, is not been, is, he has not truly lived He's up to the draft status. Yeah, yeah. But outside of that, I mean, you know, I mentioned earlier, like where they ranked overall in defense field. I was just curious to see how they did on third down. This is a group that allowed the third lowest passer rating on third down, seventh in EPA per play, notably, by the way. So they played the most zone of any uh, defense in the NFL, probably mm -hmm. unsurprising to you. Um, they only played man 41% of the time on third down, you know, when you're going to see defenses play it more often. But when they did, they allowed a QBR of two. Wow. <laughs> Which is, of course, the best in I the NFL. I knew that was possible, yeah. Isn't that wild? Again, that but it's, wild. and people might say, well, they don't play a lot. Yeah, they did 41% of the time, and that's sure, pretty effing yeah. good. That is amazing. Two seals, are good. that's a good number Two. to keep your opponents, Two. too. Yeah, that's pretty good. Can I get my, can I empty my last, uh, my one Rocky in thought? Yes, please. Is that I hope he becomes a really good cornerback for them. The first two years have been, have been uneven. Mm. If... Like he's just one of those guys who it just does not look like he can be a consistent starter for you at cornerback. I would love to see him dedicate his career to being legitimately the best coverage player on special teams in the NFL because he is such a freak athletically. He's yeah. so strong. Draft guru, remember he was he was a wrestler before he was a football player. He could go out there and absolutely destroy it on special teams consistently and be like the next great core special teamer. I'm sure he has, and he deservedly so, has much grander visions. But if five years from now, Rocky Sin is the AFC's special teams player in the Pro Bowl, I don't know what I'll do, but I'll probably, I, I probably won't <laughs> celebrate because I want him to be better than that uh, as a cornerback. But I will remember this podcast moment. <laughs> Clip it. Clip it now. Yeah, this yeah, is like it. your, uh, what's, what's an incredible Put it in a vault. I like it. I like that. It's the most pot, like niche prediction, football prediction possible. So we're here um, for. I should also mention, so they signed Darius Leonard to a big deal to no one's surprise, but I would say one position group to keep your eye on is the departure of Anthony Walker. Yeah. Um, I could see that being an issue. I know that they, I keep saying they like, which I feel like applies to this team more than any other team in football. They're optimistic about uh, Bobby Ukarike. I think I got that one right. They but um, he's a little bit up and down for me. So, yep. you know, it, it, we'll see. I'd, I'd say that could, that's one of, he, Anthony Walker is like one of those players that you don't hear a lot about until he's gone. And then suddenly you're like, oh, you know. That's yeah, they got a couple other names there that could step up. They feel like Z Zaire Franklin, who's a just, a, I mean, maybe he will be the Colts special teamer that makes the AFC Pro Bowl soon enough. He's an outstanding special teamer. He and also EJ Speed, which is a great name for a defensive Ooh. player. Like those are a couple names that I think have a chance to be bigger defensive contributors this year at linebacker with Anthony Walker now playing for the Browns. All right. Well, speed is not something I have demonstrated in talking about the first two teams. So let's take a quick break and then get back and talk about the Titans. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. 
One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. So, Field, once the Carson Wentz injury was parted, I think the Titans, who might have already been the favorites, I didn't look at the sports books before the injury, but then shot up everyone's boards as the favorites to win the AFC South. I have them as the favorites right now, but in reviewing this team, there are questions, uh, obviously, on defense. But I don't think it's a given, depending on what happens in Indianapolis. It's not a given that they run away with the division. No, I don't think so either, because Indianapolis is going to be tough. They're going to be resilient. Like They've been resilient with inferior talent on their roster in previous years. They're going to stick around some way, somehow. It's just going to be whether Carson Wentz, when he returns, is anywhere close to the pre-2020 version of Carson Wentz, which is certainly good enough to win with. So I'm glad we talked about the Titans on defense because I don't know that I have any like sort of novel thoughts on on the offense, right? They're stacked and they're outstanding and they're pretty much good at every position. Um, Maybe tight end is a little bit of a question mark, but other than that, it's it's pretty stalwart. Defensively, they'll mean. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could pick a couple holes in there, but um, they're pretty good is what I would say along the, uh, the board. Right tackles a question mark. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned tight end, but I think like it's we're not going to see, we're certainly not going to see two tight ends the way we used right. to. Um, like I like Anthony Ferkser. Um despite going to Harvard. You know, I didn't even know that. Yeah, Harvard, Harvard how guy. Does that not come up on literally every broadcast? How many? How come so many freaking tight ends went to Harvard? It's weird. Too? It's uh, it's bizarre. Bizarre. Um, they're going to want their receivers on the field, uh, even though. I sent you that meme where it's like the I'm going to be so embarrassed if this is like a common pop culture reference, but like the three dragons where one of the dragons yeah. is making like a loopy face. Somebody posted AJ Brown, Julio and Josh Reynolds. Um, Josh Reynolds or Anthony Ferkser, I don't care who's on the field. You're going to get so wide ass open that you better catch the damn ball because when AJ Brown and Julio Jones are on the field together, that safety, if they're playing, single high is going to cheat. They're probably going to face a lot of too deep safety, in which case Derrick Henry, you're going to have a really, really nice day. <laughs> yes. Yes. You're, you're in business there. You're, I mean, it's, they're going to be really good. They may have to win their games 37 to 34, but they're going to be really, really good on offense. That much is indisputable as far as I'm concerned, but defense, this is where I think, I think things get really interesting. Yeah. So they made a lot of big additions. They did. The um, notably Bud Dupree. Mm-hmm. Uh, the aforementioned Danico Autry. 
creating the possibility of a Danico Autry revenge season. And then um, Janoris Jenkins. So I guess let's start from the front. So this is a defense that really, really struggled against the pass last year, 30th in DVOA, 31st in adjusted sack rate, 27th in pressure percentage. You get the picture. Um, Do you think that the addition of Danico Autry and Bud Dupree, I think the rest of the group is probably going to be the same. It will go a long way towards fixing some of those issues. It can go enough of a way to make them a better team than they were last year. But no, I still have my concerns about them in a high leverage moment against Buffalo or Kansas City because mm-hmm. while they did add some pieces in the in the cornerback group, they added three of note. Caleb Farrar, the first round pick, Junior Jenkins. Actually, he's, he's now officially Jackrabbit Jenkins, by the way. Uh, Jackrabbit that's Jenkins. His, that's his name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is now like, Jackrabbit. Not a nickname. Not a nickname anymore. Like it's on the roster is Jack Rabbit Jenkins. Wow. Yep. Who they signed uh, after he was released by New Orleans. Uh, and then also Elijah Molden, who third round pick out of Washington, as you know, very fun player in college. I think a guy who's Love probably going to be underrated or was underrated during the pre-draft process. Maybe size or other factors contribute to that, but a good player. Um, so I think those three have have a lot of work to do, but Farley's coming off of a major back issue. Jenkins yeah. is a player who's sticky in man-to-man coverage, but he's also like he he's going to have his moments where he knows the play offensively better than the wide receiver does, and then he's going to have his moments where there's a wide receiver you know five yards down the field past him because he took a calculated gamble. So I think they're better, Mina. I think they are, and they have chances to be uh, definitely a, an improved pass rush. And as you mentioned, like those pass defense stats, I thought it was instructive that you also noted how poor their pressure rate was because those things often go hand in hand. Better, but not not like I, I'm not convinced this defense has improved enough that like if they don't if they have an off day, a slightly off day offensively in, in against Kansas City or Buffalo, I don't think their best is good enough. Yeah. I, I mean it's it's funny, right? It, it all connects together because it's like, okay, well, the offense now is like built to score differently in a different way and maybe differently and in a different way. Those are two different things. <laughs> um and, 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 you know, maybe I mean, we we skipped over Tannehill. Like Tannehill's underrated so good, at this right? point. Yeah. He's super efficient. I think it's it's because he has not risen to the occasion when he's had to win in his arm in playoff games or whatever. Mm. And but you know, I, I think mm, I, I I do think the defense. I, I guess I guess question if they're improved enough. And this is a defense, by the way, that. So I, when we talked about the NFC South, we talked about Dean Pease leaving this Titans defense and how they fell off. He wasn't the only, you know, change. But last year, this is a, a team that's coached by a defensive guy in Mike Rabel. Uh, last year, Shane Bowen, who coached linebackers, called plays, called the plays for them. Yep. And now he's the defensive coordinator. So, like, I'm kind of like, geez, Louise, like, if the defense isn't fixed this year, I wonder if there's going to be, it, it feels like they don't really get that much heat for the lack of success they've had on that side of the ball. But, you know, it, I, I, I have to think while I'm not saying Vrabel or would be on the hot seat or whatever, but I think he would certainly receive more criticism. Yeah. Here's an interesting question. And I don't know that this is like a perfect question to ask, but if you were to rank the players on the Titans roster in terms of like mm-hmm. impact day in and day out, how far do you go down? Like what number do you reach? Four, five, six, seven before you get to a defensive player? Because I would think comfortably you're at Derrick Henry, Ryan Tannehill, A.J. Brown, Taylor Lewan, perhaps Julio Jones before you get to any defensive player. Maybe that's Jeff Simmons. Maybe and that's Bud Dupree. But it's probably like five or six. 
Jeff Simmons is the best player on this defense, by the way. Like, yeah, no, there's no question. Totally. Him and Kevin yeah, Byer are, are very good players. Yep. I, and Byer. Yeah, Byer's yep. good too. But I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think you get down like six or seven spots. And, you know, some of that is a testament to, again, how very They've good. They've done a great them, job building this offense. Yeah. On the players are on their offense. But, um, yeah, Simmons, you know, I think if there's a hopeful case for like Dupree, who, whatever you think of that contract is certainly an upgrade for them on the edge. But I think he also like, they, they haven't had guys who have benefited from the presence of Jeffrey Simmons on the inside, eating mm-hmm. up double teams. And sure. you know, he's so disruptive um, despite playing there. And so I think adding him and Autry, like one of those guys, they just need like one of them to be disruptive up front. I think Landry, obviously Harold Landry has not been, it was first round, right? Near the end of the first round, if I remember. Uh, top of the second. Uh, top, top or middle of the, of the second. second. Yep. Okay. A BC, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. BC, yep. So um, I remember you'd watched a lot of them in college when we were talking about the draft. Anyways, I, the That's production there again. just hasn't been what they had probably hoped for. And like, you know, Rashawn Evans, he's going to get you some sacks and also some weird penalties probably. But, you know, again, not really lived up to the draft status. I, Jan Brown came back. I thought he would be gone. Yeah, yeah get a deal somewhere else, but he's a good player. So there's definitely, I can see an optimistic case for this front seven, but it, it, it really, boy, you need one of those players to take a big step forward. Yeah. And the, like there is a chance that the Titans win the conference in the AFC. That does not feel far fetched to me. It just, I think it's going to require, either a bad day, like an off day from Kansas City or Buffalo, or unexpected regression right now that I'm not necessarily forecasting for either of those two teams. Yeah. Well, back to the offense a second, because, you know, we, so that, like this is an offense that's been extraordinarily efficient in recent mm-hmm. years, um, last two years. I had them earmarked for regression with Arthur Smith leaving, John U. Smith, Corey Davis, losing their right tackle, which that, by the way, aside from tight end, is probably the other issue. Um, yep. But... And also, you know, Todd Downing becoming offensive coordinator was not super impressed by him in his last spot in with the Raiders. But then they trade right. for Julio, and all of a sudden I'm like, nah, it's fine, it's going to be fine. <laughs> um, do you think that's true? <laughs> like, am I – is that too flip? Because obviously Julio is a player who's not only not stayed particularly healthy, but that still is a lot of talent walking out the door. It's an absurd amount of talent. Like, it's 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 just ridiculous. And, if, and especially if Julio can stay on the field, which – you know, I'm, I'm sort of positing here, but I think Julio is going to be quite motivated after being traded away for a very, very insignificant price relative to his historical yeah. production to prove people like I may be 32, but I got a lot left in the tank. And I'm not saying he wasn't trying in Atlanta. I just think there's a different level of fuel added or motivation added when you've been traded and you're no longer the only, you know, the guy on your roster. Heck, you might have, you might not even be the best wide receiver on your roster right now, which uh, he played with an outstanding one in Calvin Ridley too. But A.J. Brown, as we know, yeah. is super, super special. So uh, offensively, they're, I mean, they're, they're stacked. They're loaded. They may are, they're top, I don't know, top five probably offensively and remarkably efficient, as you said, which somehow Ryan Tannehill threw for 33 touchdowns last year, despite finishing as a team 30th in passing attempts. They just find ways. And whether it's it's probably in part attributable to the fact that the running game is just so, so dominant that really unique vertical opportunities are going to be there in better spots. Or maybe it's just he's just a ridiculously efficient quarterback 
by by nature, um, this this offense they don't like they take advantage of almost every opportunity that they get. They kick butt in the red zone and they just run the heck out of the ball. Right, the red zone efficiency that every year. Bill Barnwell, Somehow. <laughs> it's, it's supposed to regress, but it never regresses. No, I love the way you say they take advantage of the opportunities because look, every offense in the NFL knows you can turn up the play action dial, but not every quarterback is going to um, post the kind of numbers that Tannehill does and, and by the and and throw a really accurate deep ball off of it, you know, and I can't imagine that Todd Downing is going to change that approach too much. Like I obviously they're going to want the wide receivers on the field a bit more, but um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. it I think is right. the, should be the approach to this offense. Um, speaking of things that are actually are broke. That's not really what I said. <laughs> Contrary to that. Uh, let, let's, let's talk Texans now. So yeah. Um, okay. So you and I talked about this before the show and I said, look, I, Obviously, we don't know exactly what Deshaun Watson's status is as a football player going into this season. Um, he has been accused by more than 20 women of sexual assault, sexual harassment. There's an ongoing criminal investigation. Um, he's still requesting, you know, he requested a trade out of Houston, but he's not on the commissioner's exempt list. He's showing up at practice. It's all very strange. And I have no idea if he's going to be a traded or B see the field at any point this season. I think looking at this team and frankly, looking at the football side of it in general, we should just assume that he is not. Um, and I think particularly with this team. And I think that means you've got Tyrod Taylor as a starting quarterback behind him, Ryan Finley and Davis Mills, who they took in the draft this year. Um, but as you and I discussed also, we don't really want to break like in the same way we've just been talking about these three teams and their rosters and scheme. I don't know. Like I, I look at this team and like they're so it's so so obviously a, a flawed roster. It almost feels like a not a useful approach, not even for us, but for Texans fans like Texans fans probably don't want to hear us break down position battles for this team. They just want to know. What can we actually look forward to or hope for in the future? Yeah, and you're right. I mean, what what is one more podcast talking about like the depths of how you know thin the the, the Texans roster? Like that just that doesn't yes. serve anybody. It certainly doesn't serve Texans fans, who I'm sure are sick of hearing about it. But and you, I thought you know you as always you articulated the most important thoughts on Deshaun. We have no idea this is going to end. All we're asking, I think, is probably just to like take these things seriously and treat it accordingly and understand that. Football is very much back burner uh, as far as Deshaun Watson is concerned right now. Uh, and we know that even if there were not, even if there was not this legal situation taking place with Deshaun Watson, he, he might still not be with the Texans yeah. on the field right now as he may well have been traded by now. But where I do think there is, so the Texans this offseason, if you look back six months ago in terms of resources they had available, they had basically no cap space and basically no draft capital. There's no mystery that this team was going to be, even with Deshaun last year, they were 4-12 and 12 last year with Deshaun playing at a near MVP level. They had so much work to do. What use was there, Mina, in the Texans this offseason in acquiring high-priced free agents? And with whatever cap space you had, you're probably acquiring like one or two at max. So what are you going to do? You're going to sign a linebacker for $14 bucks a year that improves your win total projection? by 0.2 and you're still like 32nd out of 32 in the NFL, right? Like I think frequently 
when coaches or GMs are hired, they talk about the need to improve the culture in their locker room. That is almost always a mask for just wanting to get the guys in that they want to get in. Usually people they already have a history Mm -hmm. with. The Texans needed to reset the culture here. Separate and apart from what was taking place or is taking place with Deshaun Watson, there was significant turmoil in this organization. There is still a lot of public angst about the role that Jack Easterby is playing with this organization. Cal McNair, their owner, is not a you know sort of beloved fr- figure within this franchise right now. Their previous head coach, Bill O'Brien, obviously became a, a lightning rod, not just amongst the media, but amongst the players. They traded away their second best player in DeAndre Hopkins. J.J. Watt didn't exactly uh, beg and plead with the team to keep him around this past season, and he is the most iconic player in the franchise's history. They needed to rebuild. They need to rebuild the culture. And I think the players they brought in, if you take a look at them individually or collect, it seems to me, Mina, like the goal this year is to establish a culture, bring in veterans that are going to help young players, usher them along the way by teaching them habits that may not rear themselves and win this year, but may eventually contribute to better optimistic outlooks in future years. And they're doing stuff around the margins that I think is pretty solid. It's going to be a long year. They may be picking first next year at this time. But I don't think that what they have done since Nick Casario and David Colley were hired has a lot of moves that I say, you know what, just a waste of space, waste of time, or waste of money. I think it's been relatively solid football business. Yeah, I mean, the worst thing they could have done would have been to, you know, sign anyone to a big contract, frankly, Um, because you're right. This is a team that absolutely needs to hit reset. And along those lines, and this is where I think it it is useful to talk about the the roster this season. Um, They spent their, it was their first pick, second round on Davis. I think it was was top of the third. So, but still, I mean, or top of the third. Sorry, Texans. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. Oh, because they traded up for Nico Collins, who we'll talk about in a second. Um, My feeling is, you got to see what he looks like this year. And I think Tyrod Taylor is pro- like, I know right now, I'm sure right now at this moment, he's probably a better quarterback. I'm not going to lie. I didn't get a chance to watch the Packers Texans game. Uh, so I haven't see- I didn't see how Mills looked, but um, I think along like to our conversation about hitting reset, you got to figure out what you have in Mills at some point, somehow this season, because you alluded to the first round pick. Like they not only like could get the first round pick, they should. Right. <laughs> like, right. Yes. If I was a Texans fans, I would be very disappointed um, if I didn't, unless it looks like you have something in Davis Mills. Right. And Tyrod Taylor is probably sitting here saying to himself, like, this again? <sighs> Think about his his oh his God, past, right? I mean, bench the for the best guy too. He's, he's such the a great best guy. guy. Yeah, totally incredibly, and part again part of the reason why they brought him in is that he has impeccable football character. But Buffalo gets benched for Nathan Peterman. It was it was brief, but still, I mean, he got benched. But Cleveland, he gets hurt, suffers a concussion. Baker takes the job and never turns back. Six minutes before week two, and obviously you chronicled this in your great feature on the Chargers recently. He gets poked in the in what in the ribs by a, a doctor in a place he's not supposed yeah. to get poked in next in the lung, and Justin Herbert just takes off. So it's going to happen. I think it'll happen at some point because I completely agree. Is that like, you know, like you have to have an evaluation. If there are other quarterbacks who are more well known, like Tua and Daniel Jones, who I think are under that similar evaluation this year. But 
like in in the sense that their team could, with the draft capital they have next year, potentially be a factor in that market. But if you're the Texans, like give it a look. I don't know when that if there's a specific date it has to happen by, but figure it out because if he's good and mm. he is such a projection, played like 11 games during his Stanford career, but very very talented thrower, a guy who's going to win more from the pocket than he is outside of it. Like I think that you know it's at least worth some sort of evaluation to see if the very least is he developmental backup or is he trade bait for somebody else who might be looking at him because he had yeah. some admirers during the pre-draft process. That's a great point too, but you want to consider all of these players, not just like, okay, what role could they play on our roster, but maybe on other rosters? Like, I don't know if like Justin Reed, he's probably one of the few like young players that on this team that you it, you might potentially build around, but they also you could see him walking out the door and getting a big contract somewhere else, depending yeah. on how he plays this season. Um, yeah, I, I I I think like that's the next thing I kind of want to talk to you about is kind of looking through this this depth chart. Like, who are the guys oh, yeah. like you want who you could potentially see on this team? You know, a couple years out. I mean, we, so I, I I mentioned Nico Collins. So you know, the wide receiver like Brandon Cooks was great last year. Yep. Um, Randall Cobb is gone, reunited with Aaron Rodgers. So uh, Kiki Cuties, he's always so, he like flashes at times. And I'm like, ah, he should be good, you know? But um, I think Nico's, obviously they traded up for him. was not a decision everybody loved, but the hope certainly is that he breaks out and there by all accounts, he's uh, looking decent in camp. So yep. there's that's exciting. Uh, Brevin Jordan, who they drafted year, was a, a draft pick that people liked yep. out of Miami, kind of a move tight end, a bit smaller. Is there anyone else on this roster that you'd point to as being like, okay, this could be a guy? This may sound, this may be like too much of a hammer, but there's not a single Money. player that wasn't, anybody who wasn't drafted by the Texans this year, like I don't view as no. a certainty to be there two years from right now, right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of players that they signed, by the way, they don't have under contract beyond this yeah. this the, the next two years. Other players like Brandon Cooks, they eliminated future years of his deal, like Whitney Merciless, because they wanted to create flexibility down the line. And even like just, and I think this is probably intuitive, but like their draft, like before this draft, like if you to do a a draft of the thirty two rosters in the NFL, and we are excluding Deshaun Watson right now in this conversation. Theirs was near the bottom. There was there, there's just been very little young pipeline um, coming through this Texans roster right now. Even a guy like Laramie Tunsil, who when he signed his extension was just for three years, it wasn't a six year commitment or something. Like, don't you think if someone offered the Texans, you know, a premium pick, you'd have to think about Laramie Tunsil? He's obviously a very very talented player, but wow. what does it mean for your team over the next three years to have someone at the very top of his position or close to it in terms of pay, $22 million per year. Like, is that how you want to allocate those resources for the Texans? Or are you considering if a, if another, if you think you can draft one or if a year from now you take one at the top of the second round, like I, certainly some of these players are going to stick. I'm not saying Larry Townsend won't be here two years from now. I'm just saying that I think that other than the guys they drafted this year, I view all the other players in this roster as, potential either trade candidates or guys that just won't be or that we weeded out further in future years. Mm, that's a great point. I mean, of course, I mentioned Cooks too. I, there's a pretty strong chance, as you and I have talked about, that he might not be on the Texans this season at, at, at some point yeah. because, um, you know, he is a guy who should be contributing now. I was actually surprised, Field, when I went through the roster and I had completely 
miss the fact that they traded for Marcus Cannon. Yeah. Um, they made all, Texas made so many moves. <laughs> um, and this was one of them that I totally missed out on. Um, from New England, two years left on his deal. I thought that was interesting because I assumed Titus Howard would be starting at right tackle for them. Uh, but you know Cannon's game well. Do you think it's possible that he either moves in or Howard moves in? Like, how do you see that shaking out? They've got two players who are clearly best equipped at right tackle. Like, it's just not even close. Titus Howard is a right tackle yeah. by trade. Uh, he's actually he's an amazing story. He was a quarterback in high school, but that's neither here nor there right now. But he and Marcus Cannon at the NFL level are both right tackles. Uh, they actually have some similar strengths to their game, like both just powerful, not exactly the fastest feet right tackles in the league. And it seems like the Texans may end up taking the, let's just get our best five on approach, which some offensive line coaches really, really want to go with like, I want my left tackle to be a left tackle, my left guard to be a left guard, right? Other line coaches will just say, hey, I'm going to find the five best guys and I'm going to fit them in somehow. And we're going to configure this some way, shape or form. Uh, but that trade was interesting. Again, along those lines, right? Like if you trade for Marcus Cannon, who's a veteran who, by the way, he could have two years left or three years left of his NFL career. He's, an, he's a player that came into the league like, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years ago. So it's not like he's the long-term fixture for that right tackle spot. But like, if you could get some value for Titus Howard, you know, in the next oh, year or two, right? like could, yeah, you know, yeah. if you could recoup a, a strong draft pick and you don't, you don't think that Titus Howard, who is a year away from being extension eligible, like if he's going to say, I want $17 million next year or something like that per year, you know, you got to make these decisions. Right. It's all, it's all got to fit into the timeline. And that's such a great point. Cause again, like the offensive line is probably the strength of this team. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I think they're going to be frisky defensively. I will say that. I don't okay. want to leave that thought well, unsaid because I think they will be frisky. Well, uh, we'll get to that in a second, but I think, you know, okay. you could look at this and say, okay, if we're trying to actually win, you want your best, you want to hold on to these guys. But if, it's about being competent in the present while also building for the future and gaining assets and cap space and draft picks and all that. Um, I could totally see that's a great point about either Tunsil or Howard being on the move. So about that frisky defense, um, Lovey Smith is now a defensive coordinator, which I totally, mm -hmm. again, so many things happened to the Texans and I, was, I totally forgot about them. It's crazy. Um, so one assumes that they will be playing a 4-3. Tampa two. Um, so I think that could help, you know, Jacob Martin kind of, he's funny. He was like the forgotten man in the Javion Clowney trade Clowney and trailer. then like yeah. ended up playing pretty well. And then like kind of, you know, up and down. Uh, I think he could benefit from that. And merciless, you know, he had a real step back, but I, again, another player who I think maybe could bounce back a little bit. He's one of those guys that had this contract trimmed down to one year. So, you know, he, uh, he sounds like he's not for long in, in, in Houston beyond this season. Linebacker in the Tampa 2, man, though, looking at it's Zach Cunningham. So, linebacker, these, Zach Cunningham makes a pretty decent amount of money, if I remember correctly. Yep. I think he he's one of the few that I do believe had his contract restructured, but restructured in a way that made it more likely that he is around going forward. I think he uh, did the okay. base salary to signing bonus conversion, which is the oldest trick in the salary cap book to rob Peter to pay Paul, as they say. Well, so, you know, I think the hope would be like, so you said Merciless is in a one-year deal. So that's probably, you know, I could see that being sort of the end of the road for him in Houston. But like Jonathan Greener, is a great example of a younger player who maybe benefits from the scheme change. If they like what they see, that could be good for them going forward. Yeah. 
Yep, I agree. And he's one of, you know, one of a couple of draft picks they took uh, last year, Ross Blacklock as well, their second round pick who had yeah. one of those years that like, you know, I think he probably hoped for more is how I'll put it. Um, but I, I and I, I wonder if part of the reason why I'm thinking this defense could be frisky, Mina, is that first yeah, of all, they have a ton of veterans, twice, right? Like it's very veteran related. Uh, second of all, is like it could be that they just are facing off against an offense that probably isn't going to score a lot of points this year, and they're like developing a confidence and a swagger so far in practice that I think may like have my expectations <laughs> yeah. alter a little bit. But I do think like for say what you want about Levy Smith, the man who's had a coach defense, right? Uh, his yes. his head coach success, uh, you know, more recently. I mean, he, I thought he was excellent with the Bears for all those years for for the most part, right? But um. I think they're going to play hard and tough defensively. And I think that speaking generally, and this is maybe too broad of a brush to paint with, but we have often seen defenses coming around earlier in the season than offenses. It's just more of a rhythm side of the ball, whereas defense is much more reactionary. I love the idea of a hack um, being have your offense be bad so that your defense gains confidence. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, no, you're right. Yeah, mm, galaxy brain. Uh, yeah, there's NFL players like Desmond King is on this team. Didn't know that. Yeah, I looked at the roster. He's can play football. You know, um, I mentioned Justin Reed. Um, Bradley Roby's been decent. So, yeah, uh, I could see the. I think the defense will be could be better than the offense. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Um, yes. Yeah, that seems like a good way to wrap up the Texans. <laughs> so Texans fans, patience. you know, there's patience is really all you got. Um, at least. I would say the thing you feel optimistic about is what Field just laid out is when you look at these contracts and the decisions made over the last offseason, they're clearly with an eye towards a reset. And I think the only thing worse than a team that's resetting is a team that doesn't know it's resetting. So mm. at least the Texans know it's resetting or they know that. Probably the one of the lines that I've used too much in my lifetime covering football at ESPN is teams being honest with their timelines. Yes. and. I feel like that's something that unfortunately in the NFL and partly because of the pressure to win now or else you're losing your job. We see that way too frequently where, where teams are not honest with their timeline. And I think that the Texans are right now as honest with their timeline as they need to be. Well, Field, I got to be honest with your timeline. It's probably <laughs> dinner time over there. So let's wrap up as always with a few quick questions for our guest. And now it's time for dinks and dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? Question number one, Field, we have been texting all weekend about the rookie quarterbacks. Um, so I'm just going to, this isn't like a rank them question. I just want to know who impressed you the most. That doesn't mean necessarily who was the best, but who impressed you the most of the five? Uh, Justin Fields, in, in part because he had the longest opportunity to play. So we got to see the most from him. Um, yeah. I thought, though, that just like there was growth shown from the beginning of the game where it felt like Jitters got the best of him. And like there were a couple of throws that like I'm like, I know he can make that throw. And he just just missed or not not entirely missed, but didn't put it right on the money. Um, But he showed a lot of growth into the second half. And yes, he also faced decreasing levels of competition in the second (laughs) half. But the fact that he grew from I thought the first couple of drives to the subsequent drives I thought was notable enough to give him like the, if I had to hand out a most impressive of those rookie quarterbacks, he would win. But all of them I thought were like not a single one raised my concerns much at all. Yeah. They were kind of all as advertised, you know, like they all had the traits that we saw in college. And I think any, all five fan bases should feel pretty good. That would put it that way. Yeah, I agree. Um, 
All right, question number two. And I, by the way, I should say it wasn't the five rookie quarterbacks, the five first round rookie quarterbacks, because as yes. we just mentioned, Davis Mills did play. Um, and he's not the only rookie quarterback who played. All right, <laughs> that's it. Question number two. Who is a non-quarterback rookie who impressed you this weekend? Non-quarterback rookie that impressed me this weekend. Let me take a... Should have, pre- should have prepared you for this one, but who, who's no, no, this is, this is good. I'm just, I'm just pulling up all the teams. I mean, literally first, every team played round. this weekend that makes me think. All right, I'm, of course, my my browser starts to go slower when I think about a team. The so because we did not see a ton of all of them. Um, so let me of uh, the first rounders, I should say specifically. I was going to say like, hey, Jamar Chase looked good on that one catch that he had uh, in their uh, in their. Did they win? I don't even know if they won, which is irrelevant in the preseason. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Um, did you have an obvious answer? Let me put it back in. Like, I, are you going to say Larry Roundtree because <laughs> you were at the game and he did look good? But he did look good. By uh, the way. He curious. did look good. He, he did, did look, look good. good. You know who got a lot of char- targets was Josh Palmer, by the way. Yeah, he did. He did uh, look also. good. Oh, you know who looked good? I mean, and I'll also, just, I also from the Rams game, I'm like obsessed with Jacob Ter- Harris, who's sure. their fourth round tight end who like didn't play football until two years ago which is he's he's a six foot five guy who ran a four three nine sure yeah uh, i mean which I, hey hey stats don't matter in the preseason but they you know at least sometimes they are the derivative of like you know interesting interesting traits and Ramondre stevenson ripped off t- two touchdowns for the patriots including a 91 yarder which that's uh, that's a good one uh, he's probably the player that uh, he, he's a fourth round pick that i think a year from now could be like you know, very much a part of their offense and maybe sooner than that. I mean, the guy, again, running backs can fluctuate all over the board, but uh, it's not like you can't find really good fourth round mm-hmm. running backs. He's going to be a player for the Patriots. All right. Question three, this is not what should they do, but do you think Andy Dalton is the starter week one versus the Rams for Chicago? No, I, I've, I've changed my mind there. Is that like, I think we're getting I, the, the mm. rhetoric. It's already changing from Matt Nagy to the point that I truly believe that it'll be Justin Fields, whether that's announced two weeks from now, the week of the game itself. I think Justin Fields is QB one. I saw he was uh, thrown Allen Robinson. Someone tweeted about that. He was playing with the ones, and it's like, all right, we're yeah. Give it's, me life. Give me life. Happening. It's happening. It's happening. Um, question four. So you are one of the hosts of the Fantasy Focused Football Podcast. I have asked you for advice. Now I'm giving you the chance to give advice to Mina Kime show listeners. Can you give us a name, a sleeper pick at wide receiver? I feel like I'm putting you on the spot. Oh, good. No, I, okay. I was, I was going to give you a running back one. So, um, because I, okay. I, I have sort of changed my view in which I look through a look at sleepers only because there's so much coverage of the media of, of the league, which is tremendous, right? I love the fact that there's so much exposure, that most of the names that I mentioned as sleepers, people are like, yeah, I drafted him like two years ago. Meanwhile, I'm like, he was like in high school two years ago or whatever. Um, but like, I think I will say running back too is that AJ Dillon is not an unknown name, but based off where he's going, if something were to happen to Aaron Jones, and even alongside Aaron Jones, he may have standalone value. AJ Dillon reeks of superstardom to me. He really. I'm, Running back stardom, I should say. Superstar is probably a little bit gratuitous, but I think he's going to be a really, really good player. As far as a wide receiver, a true sleeper, I think is like a legit, like not that well-known. Donovan Peoples-Jones has been the talk or one of the talks of mm. Brown's training camp. Six-round pick out of Michigan a year ago. 
always had a lot of potential. He was being drafted, or excuse me, he went later in the draft than his talent probably suggested leading into his final year at Michigan. But I think Donovan Peoples-Jones has a chance to contribute as maybe Cleveland's third wide receiver, and he could figure into their future plans of 2022 and beyond. Yes, that's definitely something to keep an eye on with how much money they're spending yes. at the position. Um, all right, well, as always, last question comes from Lenny. Um, so Lenny also knows that you're a fantasy expert, avid listener to Fantasy Focus, <laughs> and he wants to know if you're going to be embarrassed when his co-host, me, Mina Kimes, when I beat you now that I'm joining the ESPN League with you. Yeah, I am so excited that you're going to be part of the War Room League. And Lenny, I know, will be probably making all the difficult decisions for that <laughs> roster. Um, <laughs> but it's such a fun, it's an enjoyable league for so many reasons. It's 16 teams, which uh, 16 team leagues are just hard in general, right? Especially at those positions like tight end and running back where the depth is so, so thin. Um, there are certain people in that league that I prefer, uh, that I, I enjoy losing to, Um very, very much. I'm okay if we go, you know, if we go head to head, and I think our regular season schedule actually sets up where you don't play everybody in the league because at what, oh. I think it's like 12 teams before you, 12 weeks before you get to the playoff and be 13 this year because of the extra week of the season. But if we do square off, I'm totally fine with you and Lenny absolutely waxing Cisco and I. It's too nice, Field I can't help it. 